0: Preach that message. And I just want to encourage you if you uh, aren't aware of what's going on with this Tokyo mission, with the church planning efforts in Tokyo, maybe you're new to our church or maybe you've heard a little bit about it. I just really want to encourage you to come to that lunch. Seda and Emma, five ish plus years ago, left this church to plant a church there. Do you know that the second largest unreached people group in the world? is this country we call Japan. There are few Christians anywhere to be found in that country, and they have gone into the heart of Tokyo uh, to bring the good news of Jesus. And I think you'll be encouraged and inspired by what God's doing through them. Uh, So I just really want to encourage you to that lunch next week. And also just want to let you know after uh, we are are done with uh, the the Advent series, we finish the year, uh, beginning in January, we're going to have an extended series in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are sort of a secret weapon for Christians. They're God's blueprint for our lives. And so we're going to be uh, going through those. But this morning, um, we're talking about glory. We're, we're singing about the glory that we find in Jesus Christ. We're posing this question how do we see the glory of God in Jesus? And one of the um, focal points for that is found in the beginning of Hebrews. It's particularly verse 3. But I want to open up Hebrews uh, chapter 1 and verses 1 through 4 uh, this morning and, uh, and then make some, uh, so, some thematic comments about the glory that we find there in, in, in Jesus. So Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 through 4 this morning. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let's pray. O oh God our Father, I pray that you would show us your glory. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, through your word, let us behold. Your glory in the face, in the person, in the work of Jesus Christ. A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. O Father, thrill us with the hope of the glory of your Son. And empower us to respond by giving glory in return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, this is an Advent series. Advent means arrival. And during this season, we are remembering the arriving of Jesus born in Bethlehem. And this series is focused on this idea of the glory of God. And so we just want to ask, what is the glory of God? What is God's glory? God's glory is one of those phrases, one of those concepts that if you're around church, if you're around Christianity for a while, you hear it, but it may not always be Evident what it exactly is. It can be familiar but slippery. How do we define God's glory? Now this is important for us to be able to do this. This matters for us because the glory of God is an organizing principle for followers of Jesus. It's the foundation for how people live in his kingdom. We live in a world that offers a variety of sort of organizing principles for life. Last week I mentioned this idea of you do you. People in your 20s, the, the quote I read from last week, the, the urging was you need to do you and, and focus on you during that time. Another organizing principle is quite an evident, uh, in evidence during the Christmas season, and, and that's kind of, to put it simply, you are the reason for the season. So get busy shopping and make sure you get all the stuff that you want because you can have a good and happy life and be satisfied through pleasure and comfort. Through stuff. And so it's looking to the creation to provide a satisfying and meaningful life. These are organizing principles. They swirl around us and inside of us. Jesus comes along with a very different message. Jesus doesn't say, You do you. Jesus actually says the exact opposite. He says, It's not about you. You're actually not the center of the universe. The good life comes through worshiping and serving God not yourself. And so an organizing principle would be whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. First Corinthians ten thirteen. God's goal is his glory. He actually is the center of all things. Now, he doesn't set things up that way because he's an egomaniac who loves to be constantly encouraged about how great he is. The reality is That God's glory is also our good. And so we experience the life we were made to experience when we glorify God and enjoy him forever. We glorify God by enjoying him forever. The life we were made to live is intended to be a back and forth between seeing God's glory and giving God glory. There's a experience. There's an intake. There's a a sighting. And then there's a response of worship and honor and obedience and adoration. Last week, we said that God's glory is the weightiness of, of who he is. It's the invisible God making himself visible. It's the here's a definition that I that I offered last week. It's the manifestation of his majesty in acts of power. So I just want you to Just camp on those words for a moment. It's the manifestation of his majesty in acts of power. So God's glory is God making himself visible. He's manifesting himself in his majesty. That's who he is. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. We just read. And when God reveals himself, when God makes his glory known, when he makes his person and, 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 and attributes known, it, it always comes to us in acts of power because, again, that's who he is. And so last week we saw how Isaiah the prophet promised that his glory, God's glory, would be revealed. The glory of the Lord, Isaiah 40 and verse 5, shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. And at Christmas, we remember that that glory was revealed, is revealed, the advent of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we want to ask this question, how do we see the glory of God in Jesus? How do we see the manifestation of God's majesty in Jesus? How do we see in Jesus these acts of power that come into view when God makes himself known. Now, there are many places we could go in Scripture, many places in the New Testament. We're going to camp out this morning in these first four verses of Hebrews chapter 1, and verse 3 in particular holds much promise for us. So I just want to pose this question, and and then we're going to turn to this text, Hebrews 1, 1 1-4. How do we see the glory of God in Jesus. Now, we have just read verse one here. This letter to the Hebrews doesn't start like a letter, does it? It doesn't have a writer. It doesn't have recipients. It actually starts like a sermon. It ends like a letter. You can go read the end of it later on your own. But here's the situation. This is a a letter. It's a sermon in letter form, and it's written to a church that are people following Jesus, just like us. And they're people that have set out, they've gotten excited, they've heard the gospel, they've signed up to follow Jesus, they've become disciples, they're they, they seeking to know and love and obey Jesus and encourage others to, to do the same. But somewhere along the line, they got tired. They got weary. They got discouraged. They felt overwhelmed. They began to lose heart. One of the reasons is because they found themselves the wrong end of things in their society. They found that they were marginalized. They didn't fit. They were sometimes persecuted. And this was discouraging and disheartening to them. Some of them were even ready to throw in the towel to forget this whole idea of being a Christian. And if anyone here is having those experiences this morning, God knows that Christians experience these things and He loves you. And he's given the letter of Hebrews as a gift to you. And this sermon from the letter of the Hebrews as a, an encouragement to strengthen you this morning. The pastor who's preaching the sermon that is Hebrews is a wise pastor. He preaches this sermon. And from the very first words, his commitment is this. I want to overwhelm you with Jesus. Jesus. I want to thrill you with the supremacy and the awesomeness of Jesus Christ. That's how he starts out that sermon that we have in front of us here. And what he does is he starts by breaking history down into two stages. Look it back at first one with me again, please. He says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Here's sort of stage one of history. Many times, many ways. God was communicating. God is a revealer. God's disposition isn't to hide. It's to make himself known. And so he's saying he spoke through the prophets. We might think of Abraham or Moses. Jeremiah, Malachi, Huldah. God spoke in many times through these prophets and also in many ways. Sometimes they had dreams or visions. God spoke through giving the law, the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai. God spoke through. Through giving signs like telling Jeremiah at one point to go buy a piece of land to encourage people that there would be a time when they'd be coming back from the exile and buying land and selling again. But the message through it all, through these prophets, was that God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And so so people of God, if you'll trust his promises and obey his commands, you'll experience his Blessings, But they kept failing. They kept falling short. They kept falling into idolatry and into unbelief. And so through the prophets, God speaks this word of promise that a new covenant will be made. A new kind of relationship with him will be possible. And that's going to come about through the appearing of a Messiah. And so Isaiah says, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, as we saw last week. And that revelation of the glory of God turns history's page it turns the page of God's calendar and that's exactly what we see happening in this writing look at verse 2 so long ago many times God spoke to our fathers but in these last days verse 2 he has spoken to us by his son and then we get this sort of this resume of the person and work of Jesus Christ the son of God He's appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He made purification for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, and is superior to the angels. The appearing of the Son of God, the manifestation of the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ, Christ is so significant that the pages of God's calendar turn. And now we live in the last days. Sometimes people wonder, are these the last days? Yes, these are the last days. The last days are the, the period of time that we live in in between Jesus's first arrival and his second arrival. These are the last days. The next thing that happens in God's calendar, the next epic event is the return of the Lord and the setting up of a new heaven and a new earth and the judging of all human beings. Now, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. Who is this son? Who is this Jesus who was promised before he came into history and then came just as promised? We find seven or eight spectacular things about him here. And I just want to roll through these with you Uh, I hope just, just th- this meditation on the person and work of Jesus will bring joy to your souls as you ponder our great Lord and Savior. It says, first, he's the heir of all things. You know how it works with an heir, right? Somebody has an inheritance, they write a will, and the heir is the person or the, the heirs are the people who stand to inherit something. And so an heir is going to inherit a house or some money or a business or whatever it might be. In this case, the inheritance is a little different because there's no death that will result in the inheritance. But I want you to focus on what Jesus will inherit. Do you see that? All things. You know what that means? That means Jesus is going to inherit the United States and Brazil and the Mediterranean Sea and Pluto and the Milky Way and everything. He will personally be in charge of the whole universe. He's the heir of all things. That's the future that we have to look forward to. Second, he's the agent of creation. Through him, all things were, through him, he created, God created the world. That means through Jesus, everything that exists was made. Let's ponder that for a moment. We have astronauts that have been to the moon. There's talk of going to Mars. We have people that are eager to explore space. Jesus made space. He created it. He doesn't need to explore it. It was made by him and through him. He is, in verse 3, the radiance of the glory of God. And here's a big connection point with our series. What's What does radiance mean? Well, a radiance is a shining forth. The sun shines forth. Rays from the sun are the radiance of the sun. You ever been at a bonfire or a campfire and there's this radiant heat that comes from the fire, right? You know how that works? Somebody walks in front of you and all of a sudden it gets cold because you're cut off from that radiance. Jesus is the Radiance of the glory of God. Now we're going to come back to this, but think about what's being said here. Jesus is the glory of God. We'll circle back in a few minutes. The next statement is is really a parallel statement. He's also the exact imprint of God's nature. Have you ever wondered what God is like? You ever have an experience in life and you think, how, what's, how could God do this? How is, what is God up to here? You ever struggle with something in your life or in the world or in the Bible and you wonder, how, how, could, how could God do that? What is God really like? Jesus Christ is the exact imprint of God's nature. In other words, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, because that is exactly what God is like. He's also the upholder of the universe. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Back in Genesis 1, we're told that the universe was created by words. And now the, ups, the Son is upholding them by His word of power. Just just think for a moment. What's the greatest thing you've ever done? What's the greatest thing you've ever seen done? The most heroic thing, maybe on a battlefield, or the greatest invention, or the greatest act of intervention, or the kindest thing, or the most powerful thing. Think of all the great things that have been done in history, pile them all together as high as they can go and then compare them to someone who keeps the universe going and keeps that breath you just took happening and that heart inside you beating and he does it by a word that's pretty great, isn't it? That's who Jesus is. He's the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's also the one who makes purification for sins. The message of the sermon that is Hebrews is that Jesus is this great high priest. A high priest is a mediator. And what is Jesus doing as a mediator? He's He's offering the perfect sacrifice, not a bull or a goat or a lamb, he's offering himself. He's offering this sacrifice in the better temple, not the one in Jerusalem, the temple in heaven, so that he might purify our consciences from dead works so that we might serve the living God. Hebrews 9:14. Jesus is fully God, creator, eternal fully man, fully human. And he has come and made purification for sins. If you're a follower of Jesus, just let that soak in right there. I wonder how many of us are held back in our relationship with God because we feel ashamed of who we really are before him. I'm affected by that. I wonder how often do we avoid letting ourselves really be known by others because we feel dirty, guilty, corrupted. We're afraid to really let anyone know how bad we really are. And so we avoid knowing and being known. But brothers and sisters in Christ, hear this. Jesus has made purification for sins. It's finished. Your sins are cast as far as east is from west. You have confidence to draw near to God himself who knows everything about you. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. And now we can have confidence to know and be known by others. Through the purifying work of his son. And having made purification for his sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The glory of God is the manifestation of His majesty. It's the majestic God making Himself known. The Son of God is seated there. Now think about that for a moment. He's a high priest. Priests don't sit down on the job. There were no chairs in the temple. Because to be a priest was to be busy. To be a priest was to have... Great job security because your job was to keep atoning for people's sins, including yours. And there was an endless supply of opportunity to make that kind of atonement. And so it's stunning when we are told here that having made purification for sins, he sat down. You know what that means? It's done. It's paid for. It's satisfactorily accomplished. Atonement has been completed by jesus christ god has accepted it and now the son is busy no longer making atonement for sins but interceding at the right hand of the father for all who come to god through him and he is finally superior to angels and we'll see if you read the rest of the sermon the rest of Hebrews, you'll see he's also superior to all the great heroes of the faith, to Moses and David. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than them all. Oh, weary Christians, hear this good news. God's climactic word to you. Do you know what God's word is to the church and God's word is to the world? It's not a word. It's a person. His ultimate, climactic, final word is Jesus, the Son of God. As though the Father would be saying once more, this is my beloved Son. This one. Not Moses, not Abraham, not Huldah, not Jeremiah. This one. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. There's no one like Sometimes people who say they believe in Jesus find their lives aren't changed much by Him. Why is that? I don't know all the reasons, but I think I know one of the reasons. One reason we can find a profession of faith in Jesus but little revolution in life is because people haven't gotten a hold of what we're on right here. That Jesus is the glory of of God. Remember if you were here last week we talked about this Hebrew word kavod, glory. It's, it's a word that means heavy. It's weighty. And, and the glory of Christ, when it, when it works as it should in our lives, there's a weightiness to it that brings about change in how we live. It brings about, change is nearly strong enough, it brings about a, an absolute revolution in how we live. A complete reorientation From life with me at the center, with us at the center of things, to life with Him as the Lord, the King. So we want to do everything we can to get this Jesus in front of us. That's what this pastor is doing in writing this letter. And I want to urge you to every strategy, every effort needed, get this Jesus in front of you. This Advent season, seize the opportunity of this season to focus on Christ, to meditate on Christ, to soak in Jesus Christ. Do so not just during the Advent season, but make this a a purposeful part of your life. uh, In an interaction with uh, Rich Moore, one of the elders here, who was just saying, as, as a new Christian... He, he got this idea that the glory of God is important and he wasn't sure what it was all about. So as he was reading his Bible, whenever he'd come across the phrase, the glory of God, he'd just write GG in the margin of his Bible. And now he's got this Bible with all these GG's all over it. And you, you begin to see the, the theme of the glory of God uh, emerging. Well, that's a that, that's a great way to do it. whatever it takes. Get the glory of God in the person of Christ in your windshield. Keep it there until that change starts to happen in your heart. So, I've posed this question as we've been looking through Hebrews 1, 1 1-4. How do we see the glory of God in Jesus? Jesus doesn't just tell us about the glory of God. Jesus doesn't just promise the glory of God. Jesus doesn't just have some glorious qualities. Jesus is the glory of God. You just got the sermon. That's it right there. Jesus is the glory of God. How do we see the glory of God in Jesus? It doesn't just show up in a moment. It doesn't just leak out in a little place here or there. He is the manifestation of the majesty of God in the ultimate act of power. Let me unpack that a little bit for us. As we think about this theme of glory. We want to learn how to read our Bibles in different ways. And so sometimes we drop down deeply. As we've just been doing in Hebrews 1. And sometimes we read more horizontally. And we find these great themes that emerge. As, as we look more widely in scripture. And so this theme of the glory of God. Is one of the weighty themes of scripture. And Jesus is this radiance of the glory of God put on display for us in human form. The incarnation, as Seda will preach to us next week, is is an incredible display of an act of power by a majestic God that the eternal, infinite, creating God would somehow get bundled up, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and be born of a virgin in a human body. It's an infant. If if God's glory is the manifestation of his majesty and acts of power, then Jesus is the ultimate manifestation of that majesty. Right. And he is the ultimate expression of that extraordinary act of power. Now. Ponder with me for a moment how it is that we actually know this is true. How do we know this? The Son of God is eternal, right? Before there was a world and a universe, there was this Trinitarian being, our great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Before there was a creation, was the Son of God glorious in his being? Of course he was. He says this about himself in John 17, 5. He says he prays, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So he was glorious before there was a creation, before there were angels, before there were human beings, before there were stars and redwood trees and Labrador retrievers. He was glorious and no one knew it but God. And then after creation... He was glorious, but still no one knew it. Isaiah didn't know it. Jeremiah didn't know it. Abraham didn't know it. Moses didn't know it. They strained forward, longing to see and know these things. But nobody understood before the incarnation, before Christmas, nobody understood that God is a triune being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There were whiffs of it and hints of it in the Old Testament. But what we celebrate at Christmas is that the Son of God became one of us. His glory was put on display and we got to see it and know it. Why? Why? Why did it move from something that was in the shadows and largely hidden from us into something that we can know? What's the if the glory of God in the Son of God is like a thread What's the needle through which it passes that enables us to see it? You know what it is? It's that he came to make purification for sins. He didn't come so that he could get more praise from the universe and the beings that he created. He came so that he could become one of us, become our representative, suffer and die on a cross so that we could see His glory and be thrilled by it and live in the good of it now and for eternity. Jesus is the glory of God. And we get to see it in His person because of His commitment to come and make purification for sins. So if you read the Gospels and you look at Jesus, what do you see? Well, you see this glory, don't you? Now it's veiled. Mild he lays his glory by, we sing. But it's there, isn't it? Do you see manifestations of God's majesty and acts of power when you look at Jesus and read the Gospels? Do you see that? Of course you do, right? You see it in his teaching. And people Wow, nobody teaches like he's got authority. Nobody teaches like that. And look how he puts down these people who are trying to trap him and they can never get him. Do you see it in his miracles? He can stop a storm with a word. Hey, who's that sound like? Hmm, Word, storm, obeys. He can feed thousands with a few fish, a couple loaves of bread. He can raise the dead. He can set demon-possessed people free. Free indeed. And yet, He does all of that in order to come to the ultimate reason for his appearing. Listen to Hebrews, the next page in your Bible, chapter 2 and verse 10. It was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. If Jesus is the manifestation of the majesty of God, revealed in acts of power, how is it that he suffered? What does that tell us about God? And suffer he did, didn't he? You see that in the Gospels too. He's rejected by his family, he's rejected by his hometown, he's rejected by the leaders of his people. He's betrayed by one friend. He's abandoned by other friends. At at the climactic moment, a crowd of his people traded him in for a known criminal so that the known criminal could be set free and Jesus could be crucified. On false charges. That's suffering. How do we see the glory of God in Jesus? He came to make purification for sins. Can you see the manifestation of His majesty when He willingly took on a body divinity adding humanity to Himself in order to be crucified so as to make a once for all offering for sin. Hebrews 10.10 Listen to this. By God's will we have been sanctified made holy. That's a positional status. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Can you see his glory in that? Can you see the manifestation of God's majesty in an act of power when Jesus suffers and willingly takes his body to die as a substitute on the cross? Can you see the manifestation of his majesty when he rises from the dead? Can you see the act of power when He ascends to heaven, seated at the right hand of the Majesty on high? And are you prepared? Are you ready for the manifestation of God's majesty in an act of power when Jesus returns not to deal with sin and not veiled in glory as a baby, but as the triumphant King come to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him? Jesus is the glory of God. Church, let us do everything we must do to get him in view. Thou my best thought. He is our best thought. Let us give ourselves to singing and reading and meditating and conversing and praying so that the glory of this Jesus is weighty in our thinking and in our souls. We will do our best every Sunday morning to dazzle you with Jesus. Not going to have the best lighting in town. Don't have the coolest building in town. Sometimes the microphone packed things don't work right. The preachers do their best with the limited gifts that they have. Right? But the elders of this church promise you we promise you we will do everything in our power every single Sunday to do one thing well, and that is to dazzle you with the glory of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what this church is about, that's what we're about. We're about him. It's not about us. We are about him. We have seen his glory and we want to give him glory and we want to keep seeing more of his glory so that we can give him more glory. He made purification for sins. He's made it possible for us to have shame free relationships with God and others, trying to live in the good of those things, trying to get the glory of Christ in front of us. Let me just give you one further suggestion for application. How do we respond to this? This verse has been so meaningful to me. I struggle with doubts. I'm a pastor. I've been a Christian for 40 plus years. I love the Lord. I believe I'm justified. I look forward to heaven. I do my best to glorify him. But I have doubts. Things go on inside me. And this verse, verse 3, that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, this is a life preserver for me. It's a lifeline for me. I want to encourage you, wherever you have doubts, bring the light of the glory of Christ into the darkness of your doubts. How do you do that? Well, what are your doubts? Some of us have places in the Old Testament that we read and say, how? Judges. Joshua, like, how, how could God do that? How could this happen? Sometimes people wonder, is the Old Testament God different from the New Testament God? Some people struggle thinking about the realities of hell and final judgment and how can people that I love end up on the wrong side of God's judgment, tormented in hell and under God's judgment. Some people experience tragedies in life and in The world and wonder, where is God? What is God really like? What is God up to? And when I have those kinds of struggles, here is my home base. Jesus Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Do you want to know what God is like? He's exactly like Jesus. So let's put it in the form of a question. Can you entrust your future, the future of the world, the future of your loved ones, the future of the universe? Can you entrust it to Jesus? Oh, yes, I can. Oh, yes, I can. I want to be with that guy and I want that guy in charge. And if he's in charge, it's going to be. Good, because I know what he's like. I know how wise he is. I know how right he is. I know how true he is. I know how faithful he is. I know how loving he is. I know how good he is. I know how gracious he is. I know how merciful he is. Actually, I don't know those things. I only know those things in part because he's far more of those things than I can ever imagine. But if he's in charge, if he's the heir of all things, and if God is exactly what he is, then that's good by me. I can rest in that. And delight in that. And encourage others to come into the good of that. As I'm trying to do with you here this morning. So bring the light of the glory of Jesus Christ into the darkness of your doubts. How do we see the glory of God in Jesus? Jesus is the glory of God. In person. So, glory seeing results in glory giving. The worship team come up. Let's give glory to our great King and Savior, Chief.